Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word, I just pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth as we continue our study in Ephesians. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mold us and shape us and that we might continually reflect you and be the child of God that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, our focal verse is found in verse 7 of Ephesians 1. However, before we begin, I want to remind you of a couple of points that I have already stated in previous sermons that I think that are important for us to keep in mind. One is is that Ephesians is known as the Trinitarian letter, that it reflects both the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit And I also want to quote Honer from his commentary again because I think it's important that we keep this in context. He said, Paul teaches that the Trinity is the basis on which spiritual benefits are bestowed on believers by means of one, the selection of the Father, which we've already preached through 4 through 6 in Ephesians 1. Two, the sacrifice of the Son, which is where we find ourselves today in verses 7 through 12. And then thirdly, the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is found in verses 13 and 14. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he was preaching on verse 7, said that verse 7 deals with the economy of salvation. In other words, what causes us to be saved? How is that transacted? I think that you can also think of it this way. The Father developed the plan, the Son executed the plan, and the Spirit seals and guarantees the plan. And you're going to see that as we progress through chapter 1. So I'd like to read, I I know our focal verse is verse 7 of chapter 1, but I'd like to read 7 through 12 to give ourselves the proper context. It reads, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And as we begin verse 7, we're going to spend most of our time on this word redemption. 
because it's an extremely important word in our understanding of Christianity. And to get the proper understanding of redemption in our verses today, I think that you have to combine the end of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7. The end of verse 6 reads, By which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In other words, we weren't always accepted in the beloved, were we? Before Christ, we weren't accepted at all. And in fact, Romans 8 verses 6 through 8 describes our life before Christ. It says, for to be carnally minded is death, but spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's final, isn't it? Before Christ, it is impossible for us to please God. We're at enmity with God. We like darkness rather than light. We're against the things of God. We love the things of darkness. And in fact, earlier in Romans, in chapter 3, Paul wrote this. He said, For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that we are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. I don't know about you, but quite frequently when those verses are quoted, the emphasis is on verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one, which of course naturally is is correct. But I think if we are looking at what our status is before we come to meet Jesus Christ. If you look at verse 11, it says, There is none who seeks after God. The natural man is not pursuing God. The natural man never pursues God. The natural man may pursue morality, The natural man may pursue being religious, but only through that gift of faith do we find ourselves wanting the things of God. There's none who seeks after God. So how do we go? How do we go from being at enmity, where we love darkness, to where we're seeking the things of the world and we're not seeking the things of God. How do we go from that to thirsting after righteousness, reading His truth, recognizing His way? How do we do that? Is it our own morality? Is it our own logic? Is it our own will? Absolutely not. It is redemption. It's verse 7. It is redemption. And I want to give that word redemption some context. And first I want to point out 
what redemption meant in the Old Testament. Lexham Bible Dictionary defines redemption as this, redemption of properties enslaved by a kinsman redeemer was the most common form of redemption in the Old Testament. This kinsman redeemer was a close male relative from the same clan. The closer the familial relation, the greater the obligation to redeem on behalf of the family member in need. The role was not restricted to immediate family, examples brothers and fathers, as indicated by the inclusion of uncles and cousins in the potential list of kinsmen redeemers found in Leviticus. Beyond this list, any blood relative from a person's clan could redeem. Essentially, whoever could redeem a relative should, with a greater responsibility falling to nearer kin, if an Israelite did not have a kinsman redeemer but acquired sufficient means, he could redeem his land or himself. So it involved getting your land back. It involved getting yourself out of bondage. And that's the context in which we read verse 7 is that we were redeemed by Christ. Now you may say, well, I'm not a physical slave. I've, I've never been a physical slave. But that's not what he's referring to. He's referring to us being spiritual slaves. Spiritual slaves. Turn with me to Romans 6 verse 5. Romans 6 verse 5, it reads... For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before Christ, before the redemption, We were in bondage. We're in slavery. I'm always amazed when people are surprised that a non-believer acts in a sinful way. That's what sinners do. They can't help it. They're in bondage. They are a slave to sin. That's the worldview in which they operate. That is their understanding of the world, is self in sin. It's that way for all of us before Christ. We operate with a world view of sin. Later on in chapter 6, in verse 20, it reads, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. For what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. I love the wording there. When we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, righteousness wasn't something you got hung up on, right? That's the life before Christ. Is that we are in absolute bondage. Galatians 4 verse 1 says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, 
but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. We were in bondage under the elements of the world. In other words, our worldview is the world of sin in self, in darkness. That is the life before Christ. If you're not a Christian this morning, and you're truthful with yourself, you have to admit that you have no other choice but sin. People always want to not reform theology because they say we don't believe in free will. Uh, We believe in free will, all right. Free will happens after Jesus Christ redeems you and you have the freedom to live in the world of righteousness which you before could never have lived in. That's the free will. The free will comes after Christ. The bondage is before Christ. And so when we look at our passage, it says that we have been redeemed. Now, if there was redemption, if there was redemption, There was a transaction. I've told this story before, but I think it's really important. I'm really showing my age when I tell this story. But I'd go visit my grandma out in Odessa, Texas, out in West Texas. My grandma always shopped down at the Piggly Wiggly. And, you know, you'd go to the cashier and they'd ring up. And if you are old enough... You remember you had the the receipt on the register, but then there was this other little roll of paper, and that was the dispenser of the S&H green stamps. And, (laughs) and, And all those green stamps would be printed out. And just on the other block of where my grandparents lived, there happened to be this strip center, and there was the S&H green stamp store. And I remember as I got a little bit older, Grandma would send me down to do some errands for her and pick things up. And I would go into the S&H Green Stamp store and they had all of these just wonderful things that I wanted. Well, Grandma had that really big book of S&H Green Stamps that she had been accumulating for something specific. And I would start working on her. That Grandma, they have this whatever I wanted down at the store, and it just would require so many stamps. And she wouldn't say anything, and I'd keep on working, and I'd keep on working. I was a very spoiled granddaughter. And finally she'd look at me and she'd go, Monty Craig, you're not getting my S&H green stamps. <laughs> But what did you do with those S&H green stamps? You redeemed them, didn't you? That was the transaction. You brought in the S&H green stamp book and you pulled out however many stamps that you needed for that particular good and there was a transaction in the S&H green stamp store. With our salvation, with redemption, there is a transaction. Now, what was the transaction? Well, look at our focal verse in verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Through His blood. That is the transaction. You and I have redemption through 
the blood of Christ. How are we accepted in the beloved? Through the blood of Christ. How are we adopted? Through the blood of Christ. How is he the only way? It's through the blood of Christ. It is all centered on the blood of Christ. And in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it reads, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This word ransom, Christ also uses that word in describing himself. In Mark 10, verse 44, it says, Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, a ransom for many. Now let's talk about that word ransom. In our modern vernacular, when we think about the word ransom, if I came up to you and I said, what does ransom mean or in what context is it used? You would tell me more than likely that ransom is used in kidnapping, right? Is it when somebody is kidnapped that you have to pay a ransom? That is not the case in 1 Timothy. Ransom isn't used in that meaning. What it's used for, what the word ransom means, is a substitution. A substitution. It can also be used as the substitutionary price for a slave or a prisoner. And that's, that's the transaction. Is that Jesus Christ shed his blood and he did that so you and I could escape the wrath of God, that we could escape the wrath of God. All of our sins, and I'm not talking about just to the point of salvation, the sins that you committed yesterday, the sins that you committed today, the sins that you're going to commit tomorrow were all placed on Christ. And it wasn't just this broad brush of sin. It was your specific sins and my specific sins and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ in substitution for you and me. So that was the transaction. What did we get for it? Look back at our focal verse. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. That's what we received. We received absolute forgiveness of sins. And I think, unfortunately, the church has gotten way too comfortable with this concept. As I mentioned earlier, as we observe the Lord's table, there is a preciousness in our redemption. And when I start looking at that in a personal relationship, if you think back about the sins that you are dealing with right now, 
And I'll have to say, if you aren't dealing with your sins right now, I'm going to encourage you to confess your sins and deal with the sins that you presently have in your life. Because they're there, aren't they? They're there. We deal with them. And when you start thinking about the sin in your life that you are dealing with right now, and you personalize it, and you go, this is the weaknesses that I have, and this is the sins that I have in my life right now, and that's the punishment for that specific sin was laid upon Jesus Christ on the cross, it gets real and personal, doesn't it? It's not just this broad brush of sin that, oh, well, yeah, Jesus forgave my sin and I'm okay with it. It's personal. It's specific. It is exact. It's exact. You may say, well, how do I know that it's exact? Because what were the last words of Jesus Christ on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. He took the wrath of God that was meant for you and me. And some people say as believers, they go, well, yeah, you know, I've got saved years ago. And then kind of go to sleep during the sermon regarding redemption because that really doesn't matter to me. It should matter to us every single day. Because my friends... We are being kept by the blood of Jesus Christ. And until we stand before him in our glorified state, we have the blood covering and we will one day be glorified, but not until then. And we should do just as Paul said, die daily. We should glory in Christ because it's the only way that you and I have life And we need to look at our life in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and give thanks to Him every single day that we have the blood covering of Jesus. We need it every day, don't we? We need it every day. Because we are sinners saved by grace. And you can see the extent of this offering, of this transaction at the end of verse 7. It says, In Him we have redemption Through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. How much so? According to the riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace. You ever gone to the store and you get ready to purchase something and you go up to the shelf and it's no longer there? It's kind of disappointing, isn't it? Thank God His grace doesn't operate that way. We always have the blood covering of Jesus Christ because He gave us forgiveness of our sins according to His riches. Turn with me to Romans 5, verse 6. It reads, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. 
For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's all about Christ. It's all about His blood. It's why we're here. It's why we observe the table. We're not here for our own righteousness, our own morality, our own logic. We are here for Christ in Christ alone. It's always about Christ. He is working through the Father's plan in my life, in your life, right now. Right now. He has redeemed us. And it's so magnificent and it's so wonderful. And it's always there for us. I want to read you one more Honer quote. It says, It took the wealth of God's grace. It took the wealth of God's grace to redeem and forgive the sinner. It took the wealth of God's grace to redeem and forgive the sinner. The cost of sin was the supreme sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It took the blood of Jesus Christ so that there would be an acceptable sacrifice for you and me as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it took. We have to admit it as humans that it is difficult and sometimes in human relationships to be forgiving. When we encounter a wrong, for us to truly forgive, not so with God. Not so with God. He's there to forgive and redeem us. He was the transaction. He was the transaction for us to have forgiveness of sins. It should be the central message of this church. How many times do you see people go out and and in their best efforts they try to witness and they start off with a pitch on morality? You shouldn't be doing those things. You shouldn't be doing those things. That's a moral argument. There have been people who have tried to live a successful life with morality for years and they've always found failure. The message of the church, the message of the church is forgiveness of sins and acceptance of the beloved through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is Christ and Christ alone. It should be our theme. It should be how we live our life. It should be our worldview. And we should worship him in accordance of that view that Christ and Christ alone is how we have acceptance before a holy and righteous God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you for your son. We thank you that we have redemption, that we've been accepted in the beloved, that we have forgiveness of sins, and that we can never run out of your mercy and your grace. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone listening that doesn't know you, that finds themselves in a world of bondage and sin, that today they might accept that free gift of salvation by confessing their sin, 
repenting of their sin and turning to Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would give each of us in this room boldness to share our faith and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.